We're in Psalm 118 tonight. I'll read the entire psalm, but there are a few, maybe two verses, mostly one verse from um, verse 22, I think, and then maybe 26. I really want to focus in on those couple of sections. We're looking at the victory of Christ, maybe a broader category, the excellency of Christ, something like that. Um, Psalm 118, uh, verse 1, hear the perfect word of our perfect God. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let Israel say his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the house of Aaron say his loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, let those who fear the Lord say his loving kindness is everlasting. For my distress I called unto the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will look with satisfaction on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. You pushed me violently so that I was falling. But the Lord has helped me. The Lord is my strength, my song. He's become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I will not die but live and tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you. If you have answered me, you have become my salvation. And this is the section that I want to consider. The stone which the builders has rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you, do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We've blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifices with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God. I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of the Christian Sabbath, a day that we could rest. I pray that it would have been a truly a respite for our bodies and for our souls, Lord that we would be able to emotionally rest and spiritually rest. But we do need the physical rest. Thank you for the provision of it. And pray that we would have used this day uh, in keeping with your word. Speak to us now as we desire to conclude the day in uh, worship of you, Lord. And I pray that it would be in spirit and in truth, to your glory and to the edification of your people. Christ's name, amen. This is our six, no, 17th sermon. So one more sermon to go 
And uh, we've been looking at it in this brief series on finding Christ in the Psalms. And we've been looking at the wonder of Christ's person. He's fully God. He's fully man. In that mysterious but biblical, what theologians refer to as the hypostatic union, how that uh, works. And then we've been looking at the wonder of Christ's work, that he is um, the savior of, of his people. Uh, And I I keep thinking of Isaiah uh, chapter 9, I think it's verse 6, in his name shall be called wonderful. There are a great many things in life that we think are wonderful. If you look at the Grand Canyon, that's wonderful. An ocean sunset, wonderful. Uh, Christ is the most beautiful of all. He's the most wonderful of all. And my method in looking at this brief series has been to work through the Psalms, not chronologically, but I've been trying to work through the Psalms thematically, logically, thematically, regarding Christ. And what I mean by that is we've been looking at another, a couple of things, the promise of Christ, and then logically after that, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at first the, the Christ, a state of humiliation from his conception and birth, certainly, to his, um, to his burial. We've been looking at that. And then following Christ's state of humiliation, we're looking at things like this, which is an aspect of Christ's exaltation, his glory. So cross-bearing, crown-wearing, something like that, suffering glory. And this is all as Christ is our public representative. He is the second Adam. Um, He will succeed where the first Adam fails. This is a Romans chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All of it's for us. So he dies for us. He he, he rises for us. He defeats the grave for us. He's pleading at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. So when we're looking at a victorious Christ or an excellent Christ, it's for us. There's nothing in us apart from God's giving us of himself, which is good. The only thing that we contribute to our salvation, uh, Mr. Edwards would say, Jonathan Edwards, is that which requires that we need saving, which is our sin. The only thing that we give God is our sin. And he gives us every other excellency. And it's all bound up in Christ. So my my purpose has been to walk logically, thematically through the the Psalms, building up our final sermon. I will forecast this. It might be a little bit of a different sermon. So we're looking at the victory of Christ, the immovability of the church being founded upon the rock of Jesus, this is an aspect of his exaltation and also our exalt, future exaltation. There's no, we get snippets of the glory that we will enjoy here in this life, but this is not the glory life. Glory life is there when we die. I'm showing my eschatological cards. I, I am not, I, I, I'm more amillennial. So glory time comes when we die or when Christ comes back. My purpose in looking at Christ is I, as I referenced from Isaiah 9, my desire is to make us fall in love with Jesus more, more than we do. I've been a believer since I was 26 and a minister here for 22, almost 22 years. It's easy to be a Christian and not think a lot about Jesus. I'm sad to say that. Um, I go to church, you go to work, you go to school, busy, 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 busy. And then if we were to ask ourselves at the end of the day, did I think about Jesus today? Did I love him? Did I pray to him? Did I sing to him? Did I serve him? Did I think about the coming Jesus? Did I think about me going to Jesus? And beloved, if we were to quantify our thoughts, which might be a helpful exercise, 
I think that we are not um, sufficiently enthralled with Jesus. Other things, it's easy to do. Life can be very hard, and your workaday life may, may take it right out of you. Um, the, the way to buoy our spirits is to meditate on Jesus Christ. It's not just a trite saying, meditate on Christ. Oh, thank you very much. You're supposed to say that. If we would fixate on Christ, uh, we would help our faith, we would starve our, our fears and our sins, and, and as you say, as we would consider Christ, um, remember what Jesus says, is it either at the baptism of Christ or the transfiguration of Christ, the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well what? I, I've been wanting to do the Psalm series concerning Christ because I want us to have that pleasure in Jesus that God the Father has. And there's a place in the book of Colossians, I want to see chapter 1. Everything has been created for Christ, for the honor of Christ. So as believers, all of our faculties, our eyes, our ears, our any abilities, we, our wives, our kids, Everything is for the honor of Christ. Everything. And we don't know that if we're not meditating on Jesus. The Bible says this earlier in the Psalms. The choir director, Psalm of David, Psalm 9. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. I have the privilege, it really is a privilege, of as the minister, not just on the Lord's Day or other days that we gather together corporately, but because I'm here all the time, service people come to the church all of the time. And I always ask them, do you know Christ? Are you born again? Those kind of things. And since they're here to sell me a service, they always listen to my yammering. And I spoke the other day to a person, so you're a Christian. And then I asked them, can you talk to me about Jesus? Beloved, I, I would think this. Let's say we became a Christian at 5 or 10 or 25, and we know this much about Jesus. Fast forward 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Should you know more about Jesus 10 years later, 20 years later, 25? My, my point with that is there are many people that have sat in a church 10, 20, 30, 40. They can't discourse on Christ. They can't talk about him. They can't tell another person, oh, he's so wonderful. He's the chief cornerstone. He's our anchor cast in heaven. He's the blood of the lamb. He's all of these wonderful things. Because they don't know. And my purpose is that we would know. Not just so we could win an argument, because I don't think that's worthwhile. It's so we would fall deeper in love with Christ. So it's decidedly a pastoral motive. So we're looking at the excellency of Christ or the victory of Christ in let, as we've been doing, let me read with the particular passage that I've been wanting to look at. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in his eyes. Mostly, I want to look at that one. I probably won't have time for the other things that I prepared. I'll send them out. If you want it, just give me your email. Mostly, we'll look at that. And as has been our practice, we're finding the New Testament counterpart that says that, those two verses, 22 and 23, Christ. Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is the foundation. Christ is the capstone. The builders rejected him, but God chose him. 
to use the language of God through Isaiah, he is the choice stone of the Father. He's precious to God the Father, though he was rejected by the Jews and the religious leaders. Men didn't find anything beautiful or anything precious or anything choice, natural men. But God said, he's my beloved son. He's the choice one. He's the Messiah. And he is the rock upon which the church will be founded. He is the rock upon which Christians are founded, and he cannot be moved. Matthew 21. Ah, should I read the whole thing? I don't think I will. Um, you, you remember, uh, I'll, I'll read the pertinent section. It, it's in my notes. And it, you, you know the account. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians are busy, busy trying to, they're plotting against the Lord Jesus Christ, the leaders of the Jewish church. They want to kill Christ, who is the Messiah. They reject him. He's not the kind of Messiah they want, which is what the text tells us. The builders rejected him, but God chose him. Therefore, whose will will stand? When man says one thing and God says another thing, who wins? God wins. And we thank God for that. Even when we are so foolish or so sinful to say to God, even as Christians we do this, I see that you want this God, I actually want that. God has a plan for his children that say that. And it's a Hebrews chapter 12 plan, you're going to the woodshed, which is a good thing. But God's will stands. Jesus said this to these Jewish leaders who are rejecting him. Did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, he's telling the teachers of the Bible, look at what he says. Have you ever read the Bible? I, I, I never want to make a true Christian think that they're not a true Christian. But beloved, there are gobs of Christians that don't read the Bible. Imagine being a minister, having another minister ask the minister, don't you read the Bible? What would the minister say? I'm offended. I'm a minister, of course. I read the Bible for a job. Jesus says to the professional ecclesiastical leaders, don't you read the Bible? And what's the answer to that? Mark chapter 7, no, they're not reading the Bible. They've exchanged the command and the word of God for the traditions of men, and they, they nullify. So no, they're not reading the Bible. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, this is why I'm not a dispensationalist, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. He who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Jesus says, I'm going to take the kingdom of God away from you Jews and give it to the whole world, which was always to be the game plan. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 28, round about verse 14. In, in the seed of Abraham, all of the families will be blessed. It's never meant to just be. But, and then there's another place in the book of Acts. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, rulers and elders of this, of this people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man was made well, the, the, the crippled, uh, let it be known to you that to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified. The Bible says to the Jews, what? He came to his own in his own what? Knew him not. It's a fulfillment of this. I say this all the time. Being in the church is not the same thing as being in Christ. I love the church. 
It's to the church that God has given the oracles and the ordinances of God to call in the elect and build up God's people. I love the church. The church is not Christ. You can be sitting in a church. You can be a member of a church. You can be a minister of a church. It's not the same thing as being born again by the Holy Spirit. You must be born again. We have to be in Christ. You crucified him. Church people who God raised from the dead by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, by which became the chief cornerstone. There's no salvation in any other name, only Christ. Peter applies this in 1 Peter chapter 2. And the other passage I was going to look at was Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But the scripture uses maybe three, four, five instances in the New Testament that tell us that Psalm 118 verses 22 and 23, Christ as the cornerstone rejected by the religious leaders and the Jews, he is the chosen Messiah and chosen by God. And God's will will stand because our Christ is victorious. And to the believer, the graced response is, this is marvelous. This is wonderful. That's what we're looking at. I want to just unpack thematically the business of Christ being referred to as a cornerstone or a foundation stone. I referenced it earlier. Um, There are some Christians, well-meaning Christians, I'm not saying that they're not Christians. If they believe the true gospel, they're true Christians. I myself find it hard to believe this doctrine. I don't believe this doctrine. But there are some well-meaning Christians that think true Christians can lose their salvation. You can be a true Christian on a Monday, you do something bad on Monday afternoon, and by Monday evening you're no longer in Christ. The Church of My Youth believes that you can destroy the grace of God or destroy or kill the life of God in the believer. That's why they teach two planks of justification in the sacrament of baptism, which is why they call it a christening, and then the sacrament of of, uh, penance, which is the second plank of justification. You are justified, you lose your justification, and you get it back in the sacrament of penance. I deny that. And um, Jesus Christ says he loses no sheep. We are not expelling God, the Holy Spirit. And the whole business of when we receive eternal life is when we believe. Eternal life, by its very definition, doesn't have an end. So we, we cannot. And when Christ says that he is the, he is the cornerstone, the foundation stone of, of, of his people, of the church, it's denoting the immovability of the people of God. We cannot be moved. You, you, you don't have to be a believer older than five years old. Life is changed. I don't know if you've ever done this. I look around my office. I have a picture of my dad. I go back in my mind and I think, my mom's gone. My dad's gone. My grandparents are gone. This one's gone. That one's gone. Just look around. Look at your own health. I can't do this. Can't Change, 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 change. Am I wrong with that? I know I'm not wrong. And you think, well, is there anything, is, isn't there anything immovable that I can build my life on that won't change? Yes. Yes. Only one. Christ. Christ. You could have a healthy body. That's going to go away. You could have a sharp mind. 
John Newton. John Newton, the slaver that was converted by God the Holy Spirit in a storm, taught himself Hebrew on a slave ship with a Hebrew Bible and a dictionary. I do not know anyone that can do that. And at the end of his life, what did John Newton say? I'm old, my faculties have gone, my mind is shot. The thing I know is I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. So if you're counting on, well, I I once had a strong body, but now I still have a sharp mind, you wait long enough. You wait long. The, the, The immovable thing is Christ. For the church and for the Christian, Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus says no one snatches me. You, you cannot be lost from Christ. And there are other scriptures. I, I prayed it earlier. I think it's in the book of Hebrews. The Bible will liken our Jesus, our Savior, again, in reference to his exaltation or his victory, his excellency, into immovable things. In Hebrews, it's Christ, he uses the figure of Christ as an, our anchor. Where is our anchor right now? In heaven. In heaven. I had a quote in my morning sermon. Maybe I'll send it out. From, both from Luther and, and from, uh, and from um, John Bunyan, quoting Luther or paraphrasing Luther. It's not our doing. It's not really, really believe in Jesus and really, really, really do good and then you'll go to heaven. That's the Galatian heresy. You're going to run yourself right. You can't. Our salvation is not contingent upon us. It's contingent upon the cornerstone. It's, and what does it say? And this is the Lord's doing. I will never be a Pelagian. I'll never be a semi-Pelagian. I'll never be an Arminian. It's the Lord's doing. 100%. And we, we, we praise God for that. We praise God. Our firmness as believers is not built on anything we do. It's built on Christ. Psalm 46 says this. I paraphrased it this morning in one of my prayers. Therefore will not fear, though earth should change, though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This is the book of Revelation 2. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. We're never going to be moved off of Christ. He's the cornerstone. It's the Lord's doing. Our salvation is founded upon Jesus. You can say, what if, I, what if I'm weak? What if I'm... You, we are weak. What if I'm sinful? We are sinful. But Christ is not weak. Christ is not sinful. We can be moved. We can be moved. But Christ can't be moved. And we're in him. And therefore, we can't be moved. And the Bible also will speak of this immovability of being a Christian, a member of Christ's church, um, being founded upon Christ, the book of Hebrews. His voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but heaven. This expression once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Listen to this. Therefore, 
Since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. We don't have to be tossed around. We're, we're wanting to meditate on Christ, adore Christ, think of Christ, but the Christ of the Bible. What will happen if this president wins? What will happen if that president wins? What happens if we fight this country? What happens if we fight that country? What happens if our body falls apart? What happens, what happens, what happens? Beloved, most of us are so anxious it's not even funny. Yours, myself included. We're super anxious. We're so worried. Are we not? We, we are. We are. What will happen to my son? What will happen to my daughter? My grandson? My granddaughter? What will happen? We're on Christ. The kingdom cannot be shaken. Well, it doesn't look like we're winning. We're winning. Our Christ wins because of this one. So we have the immovability of Christ. I mentioned earlier the Bible will use language even in this passage that Jesus is the choice stone. Isaiah quotes it. He is the choice cornerstone. God the Son is precious in the eyes of God the Father. It is mysterious. And I want you to think the grounds of our salvation is the one in whom God the Father says is worth thousands upon thousands upon thousands of worlds. They don't even compare. He is the most valuable, precious, I can't even say thing, one. And he's the grounds of our salvation. I have been praying lately about these things in my, just in my own personal life. One of the things to build our faith and to diminish our fears is to not be so concerned about ourselves in a creaturely way. If you get sick, can that strike at your standing in Jesus Christ? Can it take away any of the blessings that Jesus has given you? Does Christ become one less wit glorious to you? No. You're justified. You're adopted. You're in the process of being sanctified. You're certainly going to be glorified. You have joy of the Holy Spirit. You have the increase of grace. You have the, the love and the care of the Father. Those external things can never touch the precious blessings that we have. One of the reasons we get so depressed, and I'm including myself, is we're not looking at God. We're looking at stuff. I'm poor. I'm sick. I'm broke. The kids are crazy. What am I going to do? Take your eyes off of the creature and put them on Christ. That's what we're going to do. Not, he can never be taken from us. And if we have Christ... If we have Christ, since we have Christ, we have everything. Everything. We have the, the greatest gift of the Father is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God the Father says, this is my precious Son, and we have Him. I, I know sometimes folks say, well, Pastor, that's easy for you to say. Well, no, it's not easy for me to say. God's people go through hard things. I go through things that you don't know about. You go through things that I don't know about that are brutally difficult. That we wake up crying in the middle of the night. But it can't take the precious one from us. And in God's alchemy, I know this. It only makes Christ that much precious to us. 
The more pain the creature gives us, the faster and the more firmer we stick to our, our Redeemer. And I, I do want you to see something. The one who is the choice cornerstone, chosen and precious before God the Father. The religious Jews are a picture of natural man. They can't see any beauty in Christ. This is in Isaiah 52. This is in Isaiah 53. They can't see what you can see. Faith is a miracle. It's a miracle of God the Holy Spirit. Uh, John chapter 1, 10 through 13, Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, is a gift of God. No mother and father can give it to their kids. No grandparent can give it to their grandkids. The pastor can't give it to you. It doesn't come from baptism. It's God does it through the, through the instrumentality of the word. It is a miracle. But once the Holy Spirit gives us faith, then we can see our need of Jesus and the beauty of Jesus, the wonder of Jesus. An unbeliever that's not born again, I know I'm being redundant, you tell them about Jesus, they hear this and they think, I've got to go fishing. I've got to go to the buffet and have some dinner. They, they have no idea because they're blind. So natural man says, to, when Jesus says, I am the Christ, what did they say? You're a worthless stone. You're worthless. Writers will say this. Puritan writers write this all the time. They said men will wade through seas, oceans of blood for a piece of tin, meeting a badge. I'm reading a book on the Pacific campaign in World War II. What men will go through for a commendation at the end of a battle? For a little bit of glory. And then you tell them about Jesus and what? Nothing. I'm going to say this. But you see the beauty of Christ. You see the wonder of Christ. And that means that you are born again. That means that you're a child of God. That means that God has given you faith. And I'm just going to say this by way of application. To our unbelieving family and friends, don't get mad at them. It's easy sometimes to be a Christian and for some reason we get on our high horse, which I don't want to be a pain. I, 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 I have no reason to get on a high horse. If any unbeliever could climb into my head and see my sin, they would say, you've got no high horse to climb on. And that's exactly right. But sometimes us Christians, we could get on a high horse and think, you bad unbeliever, we were unbelievers. You bad sinners, I'm a bad sinner. But God has given you the ability to see the beauty of Christ. And so, the, so the, the, the response of us to the unbeliever is not to hate them. It's to do what for them? Pray. Pray for them. Try to be as loving and kind. Try to show them that you believe in this, that Jesus is worth more to you than silver or gold. And then they could watch you. Are you really changed? Do you really find your hope in life and death in Jesus? Is he your all in all? Let's see. And then you live a life worthy of the gospel before them. And so it's a gift. So for those who don't have the gift, pray that God would open their blind eyes. So we see the, 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 the um, excellency of Jesus. I've mentioned a little bit. The choice of Jesus is going to get at a couple of things. The decree of God, the eternal decree, and then a, a portion of the eternal decree, which is what theologians call the covenant of redemption or the council of redemption for those theologians that don't like to use the 
a covenant idea to uh, a pre-time arrangement between the Trinity. But this is what I'm getting at. Um, Though men reject the Lord Jesus, that verse says, it came about by the Lord or from the Lord, or this is the Lord's doing. Um, The idea is that our Savior, being Christ, has been predetermined or chosen by God. That, That the plan of salvation, the person of the Savior, is from God. The, the Apostle Peter picks up, I forget whether it's first or second, obviously it has to be first or second. He says, we don't follow cleverly devised tales. That's what people think about us as Christians. Trinity. You believe in Trinity? Yeah. You believe in two natures of Jesus? Yes. You believe in some death, substitutionary atonement? Yes. And by faith in him, you think you become a child of God? Yes, exactly right. We, we believe that. And, and, and they think what? This is, this is fiction. This is not true. But what the Bible is assuring us is what we believe about our Christ is from the Lord. This is God's doing. And we can rest in it, and we can fix our hope in it. Um, To use the language of Isaiah, as I said, he is the choice Savior. And the notion is that he's appointed. Charles Spurgeon says this section says this, Christ is the living stone, the tried stone, the elect stone, the precious stone, which God himself has appointed from old, of old, meaning from eternity. And and when the text tells us this is the Lord's doing or the Lord's choosing, that God the Father chooses, the word Greek for for choice is electos. That's the noun. In Christ is the elect one. He's the chosen one. He's come to save the elect ones, and we know the elect by virtue of being believers. But the business of election has to do with God's eternal decree, and here is where we have a hard time. We are creatures, and by by virtue of being a creature, we are bound by time and space. We're creatures of time and space. And when someone talks about no no bounds to time, um, eternality, or, or no bounds to space, infinitude, something like that. We can say those words, and we can say that we understand those words a little bit, and we can use some big words and sound like we know what they mean, without beginning and what, without end. Before there was time, God decreed, I'll send my son to purchase the elect, and he'll build his church on himself. Before time. Before time. How does that work? This is a Genesis 1.1. I've said this before. A man at a funeral asked me, what was God doing before Genesis 1.1? And my eyes crossed. I had never been asked that before. Does, not, does Genesis to Revelation not keep you busy enough? <laughs> this is, a, to me, it's sophism. It means that you're sinning. And it, it, I, I hate to say that. When I think, when I, people are inordinately speculative, I'll, I'm, I'll show my cards. When I find that Christians, professing Christians, are inordinately speculative, what was God doing before? I always, my sin meter goes up. No extra charge for this. Pastorally, I think, this guy's playing with sin. Because if you don't want to look at Genesis to Revelation and you want to talk about stuff that God doesn't reveal, 
I know what that means. It's a smokescreen, but that's just me. Um, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think so. So we're looking at God has made a decree for God to save his people, and then that decree occurs in time. Um, the, but it, it's, it, it is admittedly almost an incomprehensible thing. I want to read to you from our secondary standards how they understand this God's eternal cho- choosing of Jesus, and then we can reference to the Savior. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are the wise, free, holy acts of the counsel of his will. That's Ephesians 1.11. Whereby, and here's the kicker, from all eternity, he has for his own glory unchangeably foreordained whatsoever comes to pass in time, especially concerning angels and men. So he has an eternal plan. And then the next catechism question asks this, how does God execute this eternal plan? Answer, God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence according to his infallible knowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will. In other words, when we see that Christ will be the savior of his people by the choosing, by the planning, by the decree of God, God plans it from eternity, but he carries it out in time. This is a Galatians 4.4, that in due time, Jesus Christ was born under the law, but it was from eternity. How that works, I don't know. But in eternity, God has made a a plan of everything that comes to pass. Um, I think this is what it means to believe in the sovereignty of God. Um, I, I cannot fully answer it, but clearly this is some of the... And this is meant to encourage God's people. That if the plan is from all eternity of sending in the Christ and he comes and he is the immovable rock, then things of time and space will not thwart God from carrying out his eternal plan. I mention, as regards to choosing Christ to be the redeemer of his church, theologians sometimes talk about the covenant of grace, which is the gospel as I understand it, and then sometimes theologians, and this is a very difficult thing, they talk about a pre-time inter-Trinitarian council, which is along the ideas of God choosing Christ to be the Savior. And for this, I'm going to need to give you a lengthy quote. I didn't write this. Although the term covenant of redemption is not a biblical designation, the teaching that, and here's the essence of it, which is what this is showing us is going to come to pass, the teaching that before the creation of the world, the persons of the Trinity entered into a solemn pact to accomplish the work of redemption, the Father promising to give a people to the Son as his inheritance, John 17, the Son undertaking to accomplish their redemption, the Spirit covenanting to testify to Christ, and applying his redemption to his people's heart is most evidently biblical. Thus, according to divine testimony, the Lamb was already considered as slain from before the foundation of the world. That's our hope. That's our hope, that the choice of God, the plan of God, as carried out by the Christ of God, that his purposes will stand and any country's purposes will not. And the response of believers to this is, this is marvelous. This is marvelous. That our salvation is not contingent upon man, the will of man, 
our salvation, including our glorification, is not built on man. It's built on God in Christ. It's built upon the Lord in his will. And no unconverted person could stop it. And I'm going to say this. No converted person can hinder that. Um, if, If we could lose our salvation, we would all lose our salvation. If we could stop the advance of Jesus Christ's kingdom, even as believers, even through our own stupidity or sin or negligence, we would. But we can't because it's founded upon the will of God. This is not a call to being sluggard or lazy. It's a call to be comforted that everything that Christ gives us, we have. Christ says to Peter, I will build my church. Does he use ministers and people to help? Yes, he certainly does. He sends us out to to be used in an instrumental way, but God alone causes the true growth of his church. And I, I will say this. There is no enemy engaged against you as a believer. Not the world and not your own flesh. Not the devil. That can ever overwhelm you. Ever. Because you're founded upon Christ the rock. And you can't be moved. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.